Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the after party at the end of the book. Spooky. It's spooky. We're all dead. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't mess with the people. Yeah, canonically, actually, I can't tell you anything about the characters, but the players, we're all dead now. We are dead, yeah. That's canon. Well, Julia's been dead. Julia's been a ghost for like 30 years, I think. Yes, since I was born. Mm -hmm. Brandon, what do you mean? We've only had three (laughs) players on this (laughs) Dungeons & Dragons podcast (laughs) for 30 years. I'm haunting you. Speaking of incredibly long durations, um, Eric, I know you were crunching <laughs> some numbies recently, as you are wont to do, and um, you have a little present to share with the rest of us players. I do. Prezi. That's true. A little, a little present. Prezi no reason? Prezi no reason. Prezi for end of campaign, I would say. Oh, okay. Prezi anniversary reason. So one day I was watching Dimension 20, and I'm like, these episodes are so long. <laughs> but they come out weekly, but it's seasonal, and I wonder how much content comes out from the various D&D media as it compares to Join the Party. So I ended up spending an entire day, just for fun, writing down as many shows from like a representative sample size of different types of shows about length and comparing the amount of content in individual video and audio feeds to see like how some of that stuff breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did like NADPOD and Taz and Dimension 20 and people have already compiled this for Critical Role, which is very scary to look at. Yeah. And like Rude Tales and all that <laughs> stuff. But mostly the thing that I want to share here, because honestly, the thing that I found out is like, Wow, Critical Role, an unedited four-hour video stream, bakes a lot of stuff, surprisingly. And uh, the Adventure Zone, which started out before any of them else, made the least. So strange, weird. But I did put together all of the lengths of Join the Party episodes, and I have some conclusions that I can share with you here. And they aligned with the Fibonacci sequence... We got to steal the Declaration of Independence, Eric. Eric did accidentally get lemon juice on a letter yesterday and then held up and said, Amanda, the Declaration of Independence. And I (laughs) cried and cried. It was so good. Oh, incredible. Incredible. I mean, how often does it happen? I, I had to take my it was inc- Eric, it's incredible. The people have to know. They, they think they know the full you, but there's so much more under the surface. Okay. <laughs> so let me share the numbers that I have here, and then I can tell you Sorry, some conclusions. Sorry, I don't know what that word means. Let me share the numbies Thank that you. I put together, and then I can tell you some <laughs> conclusions. Okay. So campaign one episodes came out to 3,510 minutes, Ooh. which was 58 and a half hours, two days, and 10 and a half hours, right? When you add on APs, that is another day and an hour. So the total audio that we made just of the story and after-party episodes of Campaign 1 was like three days and 11 hours, right? Damn. So now let's compare that to Campaign 2. The Campaign 2 story episodes come out to 4,436 minutes, which is nearly 74 hours, which is three days and two hours, plus an extra day and six and a half hours of after-party episodes, which comes out to four days and eight and a half hours of Campaign 2 audio. Holy shit. Campaign 2 is longer? I would have guessed they were almost exactly the same length. That's what I would have assumed Campaign 1 was much longer. Weird. The number of episodes are pretty close. I don't know that off of the top of my head. And we also did more after parties, which is wild. So just that whole comparison is 
totally, totally funny. There's also all the bonus episodes that we did, which is the punch bowl, the one shots, and anything else that we put in the feed. That is an extra day. It is nearly a day, 23 and a half hours. So audio in the feed is eight days and 19 hours. That's so much. Damn. You can finish it in a little bit more than a week. Get on it, everyone. Don't sleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> Episodes grew 19% longer between campaign one and campaign two. Hmm. Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> I wonder why that is, Mr. Eric. <laughs> uh, it's because I hate you and I like making you listen to my voice longer. I don't know, guys. The only difference is Julia's here now. so Maybe I talk more. Do I talk more than the rest <laughs> of you? That makes sense. Yeah, that's that's absolutely <laughs> There, there's also 500% more Italian accents than there that's was. Cool. That's also true. Comparing campaign two and campaign fun one. Fun round number. So yeah, those are just some fun numbers. I put together some graphics of this that I'm going to share sometime, You probably before this episode comes out on social, so y'all should check that out. I have a, I have a really pretty pie chart I want to I, I love share a pie chart. Yo. Oh, is that a picture of pie in the uh, in the corner? Yeah, there's a picture. There's a picture oh. of pumpkin pie in the corner. Yummy. Well, guys, that's a huge accomplishment. How do you feel about it? It doesn't feel real. Um, well, it was over the course of what four, uh, 2017, five years. So um, I feel like we haven't done enough. <laughs> it does feel like we've spent a collective four and a half sleepless days in Lake Town City. It, it feels that real to me. That feels about right. Four and a half days in the time loop. Yeah. Yeah. That's very funny. I like the idea of being in a city and just like, you can't sleep. Go do some shit for four and a half days. That's how I feel playing the Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> it's it's pretty impressive. I, it's really, really cool. It's funny how this kind of just like started as a thing that Brandon and I ended up talking about drunk at a happy hour for a job that we hated. Drunk and concussed. You always got to you always got to say the concussed. That's right. I was concussed. Brandon was not. Um but so... I know him at least. <laughs> yeah, Brandon got hit by a car after that unrelated to <laughs> us talking about this. Um and now Who we're... is that? It was Anthony Burst driving? <laughs> He was in the, from the future. Um, so yeah, and it's wild that we we've made nearly nine days of audio. It's pretty wild. I'm pretty proud. I of think us. it's pretty That's good. A lot of audio. I am proud of us too, and that reminds me, in fact, of the group bonding activity that I sprung on you guys before we started recording these final episodes. We did both episodes 57 and 58 in one marathon session, and before we started, we had a little candle lighting ceremony. And Julia, would you tell everybody, former theater kid that you are and that I am as well, what we did in high school that was the candle lighting ceremony? Basically, at the last performance of a show, the closing night of a show, everyone would get there early. You would go into the auditorium. You would shut off all the lights. You would light usually plastic candles, like fake candles, not real candles. And kiss. Yes. Sometimes you would kiss. No, no, Brandon, the kissing was later at the cast party. <laughs> yeah. And so basically you would go around a circle and tell like what your favorite experiences were of the show, like something nice that you liked about something that someone did. And just like, it, it's a very much like, a, as we go on, <laughs> we remember moment for everyone. Everyone's dressed up like vitamin C. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we did that before the final recording session, just to remind each other and ourselves what this experience has been like and what we love about each other. Um, Brandon, Eric, was that was that okay for you? It was a struggle. Uh, I did have to go on a, uh, a emotion walk afterwards to just sort of like shed it off of me. 
but I got through it. Just like all the times Amanda asked me if Aggie can talk to her family, <laughs> uh, it was sprung on me at the last second, and I was more—I was very nervous about my notes, so I had to go last, and I had to think about it. But it was—it ended up being very sweet. Good. I thought it was lovely, and I highly recommend it to anybody finishing a, a momentous occasion. Yeah, it was—it was actually wonderful. Don't listen to me; I'm just being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, speaking of, of things we sprung on you, of course, let's get into episode 57, all the stuff that happened before our big fight, uh, where Milo was passed out on the floor, napping and watching Ozark sideways on an iPad. Uh, Val was making ragu out of everything in Aggie's cottage. And sorry, Eric, I, I once more wanted to meet family members <laughs> unplanned. Sure seemed like you planned it out. So uh, sorry, slash, um, how did you come up with the idea for that sub-basement? I just need to say, not truly, 90% of the interactions Amanda has asked to have with her family, for Aggie and her family, I have not planned. I have not had something to do, unless it was, like, them reaching out to her, which I think is fair, because I intentionally was, like, poking you in your family button, um, <laughs> that I just needed to come up with it at the, at the time. That's a very sensitive area. Don't poke it. Yeah, it's bruised. Where is that button? It's bruised. I shouldn't Brandon, be poking where it. else? It's on the tum. It's on the tum. What am I thinking? It's the side, side of the tum. tum. Side tum. Oh, yeah. So I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then I had to, I kind of just wrapping things up and, and I thought it was funny to kind of tie back all the stuff that had happened with Hank to this, that that of course they would just have like secret documents that were kind of left out. Wait, so you didn't plan that in advance, that document thing? No. You keep saying that, Eric, and it seems like, I know you're not lying, Fuck but you. it just, it seems like a lie because it, it seems so seamless. It's almost like Eric's a good DM, guys. Like weird, Like that was like such a like a necessary like part of the, plot like it felt like that was important to the story and you just like what this is why i get mad when you tell me you don't have notes <laughs> see this this is also why i don't like saying it because it ruins the magic like this is the magic you wouldn't have known we had ended up having that longer conversation and this is also like listeners wanting to figure out where things are because like you know we do stuff so far in advance that it is we need that separation so like don't tell us what's missing because we you might have moved on by that at that by that point. But I feel like we had been talking about this a lot from the how fast the escape was from the basement of the OTA. And that was because January needs to show up because that went in a direction I was not planning. So we had to get out of there as fast as possible. Security system was on. Let's just fucking get out of there. And like, yeah, you could have looked around and there were more documents, but I thought that there was a there was a hole there that we didn't get a chance to talk about and I thought it would be funny if it was in Aggie's parents sub basement that they dug themselves so the other thing was like you were so suspicious of your parents and I'm like no your parents are just just do stuff so we, when you were like who's the contractor who is it your mom would not remember the name <laughs> of the contractor you all know your moms <laughs> like they don't it's know true, the name so I was doing that you were so you were so suspicious of it so I'm just like I, I can only tell you what, what exists and your dad spoke for the first time uh, face <laughs> Not to the side on a phone conversation, which was funny. That's what I like about playing these types of games, an episodic tabletop RPG, is that storytelling truly is one after another. And I'm like, oh, there's a hole here. I'm going to fill it in. But I had to 
figure I had to just like come up with it. I was looking at my notes and being so freaking nervous for what we were doing. And then you're like, hey, can I do something you haven't planned for? Is that okay? <laughs> Sorry. So did you make up that basement thing off the off the top of the dome too? Yeah. So when you asked to go over there, I knew you wanted to check if they were pixeled, right? Yes. And I had fast forwarded through some other stuff like Hitomi, not pixelated, whatever, right? Milo's friends, not pixelated, I, but we didn't have to make them show up. It was like, whatever, you know? So I knew that I wanted to, like, if you were going to intentionally check, and especially because, Julia, you had said, well, they showed up at some point, so we don't know. Yeah. I feel like Aggie's parents were the only one who, were like, it wasn't, like, intentional, like, kicking you in the gut, fridging your loved one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wanted to explore that. So you went over there. I'm like, all right, they're not going to be there because it's very strange. And you rolled really well, and then I wanted to have the dexterity saving throw to really freak you <laughs> out. And I'm like, okay, they're in a ba- they're in a secret basement, and we and that then we kind of just went from there. Eric, can I backtrack slightly? Sure. Going back to the OTA and like how we had to kind of get rushed out of there because the security measures were going down. Uh, can you tell the listeners about the nightmare that you had a few weeks ago? Oh yes! Oh my God! I texted. <laughs> I texted this the guy who uh, put this in our Slack channel. I had a dream that Brandon rolled a nat one in the OTA, and then Milo got arrested and went to super jail. And then we spent five episodes trying to break him out of super jail. And it was like it was like non sequenced gameplay. Like I was playing like an hour with Brandon, and then an hour with Julie and Amanda. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is going longer than than what I thought. And I uh, we were already done by then, but I was. I was very nervous, and I was thinking about that. Here's the thing, Eric. That wasn't a dream. That was a fucking time loop. It just got Ooh. real. Uh, time loop. Real life time loop. I am going to come back to that, because that, that brings up a point I was thinking about, and I want to talk about this later. But like the reason why that was in my head is like Friends at the Table deals with that a lot. They don't know when the end of their campaign is going to be. So they're just like, oh, I, we're 10 more episodes, I guess, we're doing in this thing. And that's what they're dealing with right now. So I think I had that in my head. And I've been thinking about them a lot, about like the way they record finales, and like how they just kind of like suss it out as it goes, and like record stuff, and put stuff back in, and cut stuff, and add stuff. And um, that's something I've been thinking about quite a lot as we've been exploring these episodes. And there's a part in the finale that I, I want to touch on that that I tried to implement that. And that's why I had that dream. So Austin Walker, it's your fault <laughs> that I, I freaked myself out in, in a dream. And hey, we do know what's happening next. Uh, so stick around. That'll be revealed later in the oh, after what a party. <laughs> all right, folks. lot to get through. Eric, all of us would like to know, I think, where did you get the idea for our temptation letters? How long have you had that one up your sleeves? Yes. So the whole thing, you know, Gutenberg's so rich, he can do whatever he wants. And I wanted a final temptation here. I didn't think any of you were going to take it, of course. But I did want him to know y'all were coming and that he was going to do one sort of like final plea to kind of like throw you off and give you the things that each one of your characters would want and hopefully would follow. I feel like the easy ones that I did was for Milo and Val specifically, giving money to the mayoral campaign and having the government recognize Little Italy of Lake Town City as like a place that we could put a lot of money towards. And then I was really proud of myself for coming up with a secret <laughs> a secret park. I it want to go so to good. there. I know. I know. That was too. the most tempting one. The rest of us were like, Aggie, if you don't take that, we'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Me too. And it didn't strike me until just now that that's really a uh, a preserver fantasy. And that I think it's a really lovely kind of tie-in and, and echo that you did there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I also want to point out that, yes, Gutenberg does not know Val's name, <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's like, oh, I guess I guess their name's Vulcani, short for Vol. Maybe they go by Vol. So that's why I had Vol on the uh, on the envelope, which was just it was a joke for me. I think only. <laughs> once you two revealed your your names and your faces, he was like, oh, I don't have to look up the third one. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I should have taken it. I should have taken the whole campaign in a left turn and been like, all right, now <laughs> the lanes are corrupt politicians, baby. Let's deal with that. <laughs> and Julia Moss driving the giant lobster would like to know, earlier in the campaign, Julia said that if Aunt Min had told Val they would improve Little Italy, they would have turned. So what was Val feeling when they burned that letter? So I think that that statement that I made was while Val was still under the influence of the mirror. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's the case like later on. Like, I'm not sure how long the influence lasts, but in my mind, it's like if Ant-Man had said that specific thing in that time period, then Val would have turned. But also, like, given that we were, like, in the end game there and Val was just, like, so close to getting to punch Gutenberg in the face, they probably, like, they wouldn't have turned at that moment. And Eric was right in, like, saying, like, yeah, I, I didn't expect any of you to actually, like, take these bribes and leave. But I think maybe, like, Val got some ideas from the document for, like, maybe some grassroots campaign stuff inspired by it. Yeah. I think that's the thing that's traveled the farthest is Val's relationship with her family. Mm -hmm. There was very much like, ooh, look at this shiny new thing when Aunt Min showed back up, especially in comparison to Val's dad, who was kind of just like a deadbeat. We only saw him through uh, Val's mom's eyes. Mm -hmm. And then as that relationship developed, it's like, nah, Aunt Min sucks. <laughs> like, fully sucks. So She's I can't bad. imagine, I can't imagine you you ever taking that. Yeah. Very, very specific. Like, look at this, this new person who's shown up and hopefully they're nice, but not terrible. Mm -mm. And I think that brings us to the fight in the finale itself. And I think we got to start with Gutenberg's villain monologue, which pizza lover 346YT would like to know. Eric, did Gutenberg have that presentation ready or did he just wing it? Mm, good question. I also, Eric, this is a question for me because I go into a fugue state after we record or during the recording. Did you say all of that to us and I just don't remember it or did you record it later? No, I recorded it later. Okay. But also, Julia, you did do a bunch of murders in that few states. Oh, so. shit. <laughs> yeah. You're on the lamb. Is that is that's why you moved? Uh, Check okay. your back for the tattoos that, that tell you all about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in a prison break way or in a memento way? In a memento way. Okay, got it. <laughs> prison break, oddly influential on us. That really hit it at a right time for us, that short-lived Fox series. <laughs> <laughs> Wentworth Miller is just great. That's why. It's true. It's true. God, I got to write that down. That's a great name for a character. That Wentworth is, Miller? Jesus. Yeah, he's yeah. great. <laughs> yes, I did not say that. That was the thing I was touching on was like, I was very keyed into my notes, especially because I was going to run a very complicated, high-level fight in a second. So I was like, oh, shit, I have to do, I have to talk to you three before I can start the fight. Damn it. So later on, I realized that there was a lot of stuff that I had planned throughout the entire campaign about, like, Gutenberg had his hand on the scale the entire time for nearly everything that happened in this campaign. And I wanted a chance to reveal that to the listeners and not necessarily to you three, because I don't think you would have cared and Brandon would have yelled at about minute two yeah. to say, shut the fuck up, <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. I did see someone's reaction, which was like, 
I'm surprised Milo hasn't interrupted yet. <laughs> yes. So post production. So I really wanted to make sure that that was clear to everyone about like the villainy that was happening here and how much he was like a villain who always was involved even or at least like moved a game piece forward even if y'all won. Um I was also very nervous the entire time of making sure that like the villains in a superhero story have intention and like they're doing something and I realized I left that out. So that's why I wanted to do that later. So I wrote it and then put it in there. Brandon, we we worked together on on it and it was also nice that like we didn't have to do a recap because that was the recap of the entire campaign, which I thought was really cool, doing something different. But yeah, no, I was really interested. So I feel like he knew y'all were coming, so he had prepared that slideshow. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun because I, I don't know, this might be too subtle for a lot of people, but like in the beginning, I sort of had Gutenberg's voice as if it was talking to you. So like you're, you as the listener is questioning whether or not it's Eric and or Gutenberg talking to you. And then Eric, the narrator, comes in and, like, confirms, oh, this is Gutenberg. Here's the situation. And then we swap it back to, like, in situ, which I thought was fun. I also want to say no one's caught this yet, but, like, we didn't have a a super exciting end to the episode 57. And so when I yelled, fuck you, I'm going to kill you, that was not the small yay. I just cut it to put it in front of Gutenberg at the end of 57 because I needed a button. <laughs> I, I did notice that. I was like, ooh, Brandon, very sneaky. I love that. <laughs> I love it. People pointed out that it really had some Tracy energy of Zayol at the end of campaign one. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, it's funny that we usually don't record two episodes in a row. So I was just like, we got to get it. We got to have to do it. And I, I guess I wasn't even sure where this was going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like sometimes you got to put endings into podcasts when they don't have them you know <laughs> i also took your your line when we rolled initiative that little like uh gleeful he he was after you made us roll initiative i threw that at the end too i like Ooh. that no that's really good i love that yeah that's the mad hey magic of podcasting baby we're making something good for you regardless of what we record in the room too true speaking of references rihanna would like to know was it a deliberate one-up mushroom shit post reference from gutenberg when he said you cannot kill me in a way that matters yeah, that's from a really old Tumblr post about someone like someone like confronting mushrooms and realizing that like they live and die as like yeah the mushroom with a fucking knife. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a reference to the mushrooms because of course that's been a big thing in our campaign and also that was foresha- that was foreshadowing. Mm, that's true. That's true. Gonna quickly Google mushroom Tumblr. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good post. In way that matters. So let's get into some more fight particulars. I was startled listening back at how badly I rolled in trying to distract the sommelier and get her out of the way. Um, Eric, I would just like to know, was there like any DC? Was there like a low DC or was there no DC in convincing her to walk away? And I I just literally failed. I also just want to acknowledge real fast, Amanda, what the fuck happened to your rolls in the last like quarter of this campaign? I don't know, Brandon. They were more erratic than I've ever experienced. (laughs) I think we've all spent too much time around Brandon, and now our roles are possible. It's possible. (laughs) I think I want to flip that around on the three of you and say, after you had a conversation about uh, Milo's murder vengeance, and then the Smalley showed up, like, were you expecting that to happen? And how did everyone kind of, like, deal with that as it showed up? Because I was very much, like in the moment of the character. So I didn't get a chance to like think about what y'all were doing. 
I certainly didn't expect it. And I appreciate it, Brandon, that you left in my real kind of like heavy sigh and deliberation in <laughs> thinking about whether or not to include her on the text message, which was very soon rendered totally moot. But, you know, Aggie was in that moment choosing Milo's loyalty over a thing that she thought would be strategically helpful. Um, and then for the Somali to show up, it was kind of like, OK, decision made for me. I know how to deal with this now. Yeah, I was super appreciative that uh, Aggie relented. But I did expect Somalia to show up in some form. But I, what I didn't expect was a Somalia to show up and be like, yo, this is just a job. Like, please don't kill me. Like, I don't actually. I thought, you know, she was going to be like big bad number two. No, I, I was actually really excited that we got to learn more about the Somalia's motivations, which yeah. I feel like up until that point, we really didn't know a lot about her other than like this is a job and I'm taking it for the money. And now we like kind of know why she's doing that. And it's fascinating. I can't believe looking back that we met the Somalia in an entanglements episode just in the admissions office at uh, SUNY LTZ, uh, just pulling shit out of her body through her mesh cutouts. Uh, very, very happy that she, you know, looking back became a bigger part of the campaign. Yeah. Absolutely. I, listen, that's the beauty of those entanglements. You never know who's going to show up. The actual big bad was the group of thieves who were based off of Space Jam and the Harlem Globetrotters. <gasps> <laughs> actual big bad. Cannot remember them. I can probably look it up in my notes. That's true. You sometimes They just pass through. They pass through <laughs> like ships in the night. I, yeah, I thought it was really important, just to go back to your original question, to make the role low. I mean, like, the sommelier walked in there. And was like, oh, you guys are going to fucking wreck shop, <laughs> especially if I don't take the other side. It might be more of a fair fight if I'm on the bad guys team. So I'm just going to get out of here. Gutenberg probably paid me 50% up front. So I'm just going to fucking peace. And it helped that I Val and Milo were already in there beating stuff up and it was Aggie because you were very clear about what happened. You relented immediately after the sommelier said, this is my shit. You're not just because you have the more high ground doesn't mean that you're right. And you're like, yeah, no, that's a good point. So like the role, you already said the thing that would have went well in that conversation. The role was just about the number of attacks that the sommelier would do to like sell it a little bit. And if the sommelier was going to do it right to your face, um, which is why you got hit twice. I need to remember your goddamn character sheet because your rap <laughs> resistance to poison. That's on me. Um, yet, yeah, that's uh, that's why that's why that happened. All the whispered conversations between the two of you in character were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Like I thought while listening back and then promptly said on the podcast, uh, which happens so often, it's, it's such a funny part of being a podcaster. I'm just glad I got to use Purity of Body one time in this goddamn <laughs> campaign. Yep, yep. Let's talk a bit about the N64. I thought when that came out of the um, Eternal Engine, that was like a shining moment during the campaign. That's when the stakes felt so high for me is when we first encountered the power of the N64 and the turning back. It reminded me of the time loop and it really just made the fight feel weighty in a way that I knew before it had plot weight. But then I was like, oh, shit, like, how are we going to do this? Brandon and Julia, how did you feel when the N64 revealed its power to redo stuff? No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, cheating. Would you like me to read out all of the enemies that came out of the Infinite Creation yes. Machine? Were yes. there some that never came out that we missed? There must have been, right? No, actually. Oh, we got the way. all of them. So this is also a thing that I, I first of all, Infinite Creation Engine, someone pointed out it spelled out ice and you guys destroyed it, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did not yeah. think of that. Um, so the, that was how I was keeping pace in what was happening here, because there were three different folks, Gutenberg, Triplicate, and then the enemies that were attached to the Infinite Creation Engine. 
So the first one was just straight up Ma. It was just Ma showing up again, doing some big ice stuff. Julia, I would love to have a conversation about how much you hate me after ruining your, your day in two very two ways. Um, the Giga Bear with Ice Fangs, of course. The Sentient N64 was in the middle. So something I wanted to point out was that it started getting weirder. Mm-hmm. From this point... It was like straight, this was a recreation of Ma, then there was like a slightly stranger version of the Giga Bear, a perversion of, of John Paul and the N64, whatever the fuck was going on in my head for Big Pain, <laughs> and then finally the giant yarn bird with the actual yarn organs inside of it. I maintain, I want some yarn awful. If somebody <laughs> crochets or knits, <laughs> I would love just like a yarn intestine, please. Ugh. A yarn kidney. Ooh, that actually yeah, sounds really comfy. Right? So cute. I want to wear a yarn rib cage on my head. <laughs> so yeah, I was using that as a way to keep pace as like y'all were doing damage to Triplicate and Gutenberg. Because like the thing I is that I was able to, like a Pokemon trainer, recall enemies to, as they step back in. So I use that to my advantage to keep introducing characters, keeping pace, uh, etc. So this was the question that came in from Molly, a wife of mirrors, which is excellent. Um, Eric, how do you use a DM balance the N64's ability to make players redo an action without making it feel unfair? Players didn't feel unfair. Generally, how do you balance abilities that have the potential to feel cheap or unfair to your players? Great question, Molly. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. I think when you're using homebrew, the more you stick to raw, just the game, the mechanics of raw, the less likely you're going to piss somebody off. What does raw mean? Rules is written. Ah. Like the actual game mechanics in the book. So I'm like, all right, these are always going to be reactions. So I only get one per round and then I can do something else bonus, but like uh, where I get an extra one. So I would never do that to you more than allowed. For example, you know, if you're playing in your game and a wizard uses counterspell three times in a round, you're going to be like, hey, wait a fucking second. You only get one reaction. That's not fair. But that's why that I only used it once, but I tried to use it as much as possible, especially as it came all the way back around. And we went through like, you know, six, seven rounds of combat. So it kind of refreshed pretty quickly because of the way the infinite creation engine could pokeball and swap folks out. I recall like in the moment that I was frustrated with the N64, but I didn't feel like it was unfair because I realized you were only doing it once around and realized it was kind of a reaction. Listening back, I was like, I could have just destroyed that thing like the first round. Why didn't I fucking do that? Yeah, Yeah. a little bit of a one-track mind. Yeah, I was like, I must punch everything but this tiny machine. It really felt like there were so many stakes and so many things to put out. Like those drones with the electrical wires, knowing that Gutenberg was ultimately, as long as he was attached, at least in my mind, new enemies could spawn. It just felt so high stakes to me. And I think, Brandon, you did a great job in the edit, giving us a real kind of like pacing and power. But at the time, like it felt so satisfying because the fight felt almost too big to win, but Mm -hmm. not quite. And I think that's, I don't know, Eric, how on earth you kind of, prepare for that or or plan for that but it felt so so right listen my biggest advice uh when you run combat get someone to edit it before you come out. <laughs> <laughs> greatest advice yeah i think also i the n64 although effective also was being a real dick mm. like i took julia's sure crit was. away you just for fun away. 
Just cause <laughs> you still did damage and you still hit anyway. But I feel like that's what the 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 type of enemy the N sixty four was was just like to bother more than to to effectively turn the tide of the fight. This might be a little philosophical, but maybe playing D&D for a podcast in some ways is easier than doing it at home in the specific aspect that all four of us know that ultimately we're trying to make the most satisfying story we can for you, the listener. And I know that Brandon and Julia would never like prioritize a, a cool move for themselves over a thing that is narratively satisfying. And Eric would never prioritize like, oh, 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 look at all the monsters I can stack against you over a story that feels satisfying and winnable to us. And maybe that's harder to do when there's no uh, objective audience there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you're not uh, pressured to keep the the show or the, the, the narrative on track, like you definitely for lack of a better word, like make more selfish decisions just by the nature of what the thing is. So mm-hmm. I like playing D&D on mic for that reason, yeah. But you can also do that in your home games. You just have to consciously do it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Story above all. True. Also, sorry I gave you brain freeze, Val. <laughs> it's okay. That bear, he he, he bit my head. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. I, I did write down specifically the Giga Bear. If the Giga Bear hit, it was extremely bad for Val. So I knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I more wanted to point that out. I think all of you did have specific enemies that you had to deal with. The Giga Bear was for Val the big pain going back to Aggie's hate of scams wanting to talk about <laughs> NFTs that was kind of keeping key for you trying to get being compelled dual the entire time yeah. and then like the the things that were more ranged like the bird trying to and the N64 to some level was trying to throw Milo's concentration off so balancing what all of the enemies were supposed to be doing once they had a good idea of what you were going to attack in the fight Here's the problem, Eric, is when you give the N64 a hilarious voice, I'm never going to kill it. So. <laughs> <laughs> that and that's on it. you. Maybe I liked the voice so much I want you to keep doing it. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It was a heavy. So fun. Um, I just have a quick question about the battle just for uh, no one in particular, but specifically also Julia. How long <laughs> have you held a grudge against me for not healing you? Is it the entire campaign? <laughs> Or... You know, it's it's never really been a problem. I realize, like, in my fights, because I'm a tank and also a barbarian, I don't take a lot of damage. But it's just very funny because once the time loop happened and we had multi-tool instead of preserver, you were the team's healer from then on. <laughs> and I don't think you ever fucking healed us once. <laughs> we never were even close. I know, it's just funny. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I don't think preserver did a lot of healing either, but I specifically chose that class because early on in character creation, and Julia was like, someone has to fucking heal people. Yeah. I was someone like, okay, has to do okay, some okay. kind of healing. Yeah, yeah. I do think you need a healer with larger, just to, to defend Brandon from a mechanics perspective. If I was going to kill you, I could just do it with three people. You know what I mean? And like, I think a healer and having someone who's devoted to support is important with four, if not five plus classes where you have a ton of monsters people are doing damage and someone needs to heal if like a, if your glass cannon is going to get targeted if you're like very squishy high damage folk is going to get targeted that's what it is so like i've always balanced damage accordingly and you know that's always been like that we've always had barbarians who could tank and um, we always had monks and rogues who could uh defend themselves and we never had like a really really rinky dink character like, I feel like our magic users have always had some amount of a, uh, AC. Like, that's why we've never had wizards. We've only had clerics and uh, and druids who aren't so uh, so fragile. I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said about Milo, Eric. <laughs> He's not so fragile. <laughs> He's not rinky-dink. 
Uh, the nice thing I've said about Milo is, wow, you have 100% of your HP back. Congratulations. <laughs> Rihanna would like to know, Eric, what are the other ways that the gang could have defeated, question mark, Gutenberg? And was breathing life into the ice, uh, so Rihanna's the one with that yes. uh, that initialism, um, something you thought Milo might do that was such a great idea from Brandon that it felt like hacking. Thanks! I want to touch on the second thing first about the Awakened spell. That was really smart. And Hey, thanks. And we've said this a lot, but Brandon, you are very good at coming up with creative ways to use spells. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. Hey, to all of your GMs at home, if someone is doing something creative and you like it, but it doesn't fit necessarily with your mechanics, just add another role on top of it. Like, just make it a little harder to do because you're trying to, like, use fate to make it work in a way that was weird. And you were like, you were like, oh, what if, can I awaken this? I I don't think so. It's kind of like a computer. I'm like, oh, no, there's a person. There's a part of a person in there. Yes, you can. So we were able to figure that out. And I thought that was really, really smart. And it really did influence the way that the fight went because y'all got... Uh, little little month bunnies of your own. Oh, so so when like th- then when the engine itself, especially after it stopped spitting out monsters, was an ally to you, you kind of flipped it. Mm-hmm. And my advice to all the players out there who are bad rollers is get an Amanda who rolls your success for you. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Most fortuitous roll in my life, man. I don't know what to tell you. But I think that, like, that's something that's very underrated in terms of planning. In that, like, hey, you need help doing this. Whether it's your own force of will or someone else setting you up. Like, uh, those are things we can take from other game systems where you're allowed to help someone in a very more tactile way. Instead of being like, I give help, they have advantage. Like, (laughs) there's a more, there's kind of a more tactile, fun way to do that. Like, lend your action to make something uh, real hot happen. I thought that was really cool. Thank you. Um... Yeah, and shout out to uh, Dimension 20 for helping me really kind of like grok the the full shape of combat. And when I chose a monk, part of it was because, you know, monks are awesome and Eric told me so, and I totally agree. <laughs> um, and secondly, I really wanted to kind of challenge myself on action economy and kind of using every bit of what was available to me in initiative and holding my turn and and using every inch of my movement and my key points and, you know, ordering things differently. I'm sure, you know, there are ways in which I could have improved, but looking back, I'm I know that I could not have done that in campaign one. Um, and I'm I'm happy that holding my turn ended up being so so clutch. Um, I have a quote here from Brandon Grugel's Twitter on February 18th. <laughs> uh, I think I just did the coolest thing I've ever done in the most fun fight I've ever played ever. D D is good, y'all. That's true. Did I put that last thing on there? D&D is good, y'all? Someone yeah, revoked yes, my did. access to Twitter. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's perfect. No, but yeah, I was I was really proud of those two moves in this fight, the the heat metal and and the awaken. Brandon, they are both so good. So perfect. Thanks. Uh, I want to point out that both Brandon and Julia uh, silently flipped me off as I was describing Gutenberg reshifting the drones. <laughs> Just a, it happened between Amanda yelling at me when I came for something she wanted and getting flipped off. I got a lot of negative feedback. <laughs> it was lovingly flipping you off. Come on. No, I was I mad. I <laughs> can tell you. I think, I'm, I think, I'm like, Brandon, you're, I'm just going to let you keep doing this? Like, come on. I just wanted to explode Gutenberg's head. Let me explode his head like a watermelon. And take one more round, goddammit. I have to extend this fight. Come on. 
Rhiannon also asked something that I was wondering, Eric, could the gang have defeated Gutenberg too quickly for him to go into the machine? Or was that like an unskippable boss fight event? So that was the foreshadowing. Gutenberg always had that in his back pocket as a final solution of copying all of the Gutenbergs out there, which was undefeated, which was his whole thing with Triplicate, why Triplicate was uh, his right-hand person the entire time. Right-hand copier machine the entire time. <laughs> oh, no, Triplicate got jammed again? <laughs> <sighs> That's why there's one really wrinkly triplicate in the corner who you haven't seen. There's always one person in the office that knows how to get triplicate to work. <laughs> and they will never be fired. Now I'm picturing triplicate in like pale yellow, pale blue, and pale pink, like ditto paper. You know, like the like three-sided like memo paper <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you'd take notes on in class. Uh, fan artists, I'm, I'm calling you. Bat signal. The only thing I want to say is that like, yeah, you could have done it in various ways, but that's the way you wanted to do it, and that's the way the fight went. Like, I can't control that. Like, sure, you could have d- decided to done a blitz on Gutenberg. Plus fire Val holding a flame hand to his face while Aggie and Milo defended uh, Val's back. You could have done various things, but, like, that's not how it shook out. So, like, I don't have control over that. And I think that's part of why uh, D&D is good, y'all. Tandy is good, y'all. Brandon Grugel, 2020. God damn it. Two. I forgot what year it was. (laughs) And then, of course, we get into the final minutes of the campaign. Okay. Where to begin? Um, Can I admit something? Yeah. To To the audience? Oh, sure. After the fight, the only thing I wrote down is the infinite creation engine goes into overdrive, final copying plan beginning with a progress bar. That's That's the, those are my those Eric, are my last notes. What? God, I just got an ulcer. <laughs> so I very much had it up to you. It changed. This changed because there was a Doctor Mar a live Doctor Morrow in there. So I'm glad I didn't write anything down because it was a different kind of thing with Doctor Morrow guiding you to what you were supposed to do. So whatever you know, like I didn't know what was going to happen. It was whatever whatever you wanted. I have, like, anxiety now knowing that. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm, like, anxious. I'm, like, that's all you wrote? Same. That's all you wrote? Uh, wow. Uh, that makes me that makes me stressed and really, uh, really damn proud of you, Eric. Well, I'm glad that we had a player who welcomed the sweet embrace of death suddenly. Okay. Uh, Is that you? Yeah, you mean Milo? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I feel very conflicted about this. Um, Zach the Multi-Dad, uh, moderator extraordinaire, would like to know, in all caps, by the way, what was the secret? What was the secret? Do you want to say it? Oh, have to. oh, oh. Or I will suggest this to you. It's in the episode. It's just real quiet. So if you really? guys can abstract it, you can hear it. Oh, but Brandon, that means I'm the only one on the call that doesn't know. <laughs> Eric pointed out to me that I still had two key points left on my character sheet, which I think I would have, I may have also realized, but you pointed out to me that I could just stretch and that the the weight of my body could make it happen, um, even though both Val and Milo succeeded in trying to grab my legs. Yeah, because <laughs> Brandon and I were just like, we're not letting you do this. No, unacceptable. Not You're not going to sacrifice Aggie in the finale. And listen, I, I honestly, it felt like listening back, I, I got like a, a hot flash um, of anxiety that it was <laughs> selfish or scene stealing in some way. And oh, like, no. that's, I, I don't think the the kind of, I don't know, person I am or or player that Aggie is, but it just, it felt, it felt so right. And, and I don't know if I am much more 
to explain beyond like, it felt right. I think it's ambiguous. I think only one of us is elastic enough to put the entirety of her body into a machine and keep her ankles in the ground. Um, and I don't know exactly what happened after. And I, I love that the ending leaves that ambiguity. Yeah. It was not ceiling stealing. Just yeah, by the not way. at all. <laughs> I think that the reason that Brandon and I both reacted that way in character is because we never would have let Aggie make that sacrifice on her own. Yeah, totally. Totally. And uh, Micah Cool would like to know, how did the group feel in that moment? How did you feel about that ending? Uh, I was very nervous for you and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was still like, and we could talk about this, which is also a question, which is basically like, what would you have made? And I was like, I had choice paralysis. I didn't know what decision to make. Every time I like made a decision in my head, I was like, no, but here's the way that Eric can monkey paw genies wish that it turned it on me. So I was like, I don't know. My main feeling was... Uh, hot damn, I don't think season one Amanda would have made that split decision. So, like, I was thoroughly impressed and in awe and um, sad that your character is dead and ripped in half and bleeds <laughs> on the ground. I would also say Preserver would not have made that decision. Yeah, that's true. I think so, too. Guys, what would you have done? I know we kind of threw around some ideas and we can talk about the stretch card, which Eric just fucking came up with in his brain on the fly. <laughs> God damn you. What were you thinking? What would Valor Milo have done if they were the ones who got to kind of tip those dominoes in the machine? Well, well, first, I want to before I want to say that, but also do, thinking back on it, do you have any other ideas other than throwing yourself into it? That was the thing that Dr. Morrow inside the machine. Can you tell thought. me there's another way? I no, it was open ended. I'm asking, yeah, yeah. like, were there other were there any other ideas that you had? I mean, no, I knew one of us would I mean, this is I guess uh naive me when I was thinking Eric had notes, but uh <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that obviously one of us needs to hop in and yeah. you were making it pretty clear that they, it would be a sacrifice probably um yeah ambiguous yeah. but like you were like you know um anubis wouldn't be able to help milo in that situation val would probably die and so i yeah that was my only thought yeah i mean like in terms of what decision val would have made I I said to Brandon, I'm like, you did a good job editing this because I felt completely frozen by choice paralysis. And it was like very difficult for me to, again, like come up with something that I couldn't see like twisted or turned into something evil or bad. And so I and I, I still don't think I have like a real answer to how I would have actually wanted to respond to that prompt. I mean, I, I can't imagine like tossing someone else in there, you know, j both because <laughs> so that's the only thing that comes to mind. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Like, you know, I, I feel like we could keep trying to like deal damage against the machine, but just narratively, it felt right. And I think the fact that we did awaken it, that there was a consciousness kind of dueling with Gutenberg's will, like Gutenberg was there, a sort of avatar or echo of Dr. Morrow was in there. And like, it makes sense that there would be, need to be another will imposing itself on the power of that machine. And I think part of what makes, you know, our small H heroes heroes um, is that they, you know, they wouldn't throw someone else in there, not least of all, because we can't fucking trust anybody else's agenda except our own. And uh, the people who we would trust, we would never allow to do that in our places. So it it just, it made total sense to me. Oh, guys, we didn't try True Love's Kiss. Oh, oh we should have kissed the machine. That oh, makes sense now. Fuck. I actually, that was one of my notes, that if you kissed it, kissed then it would have turned it into it. a frog and it would have changed. Kissed on the mouth? Yeah. 
Kiss it right on the on the matte black mouth. As we decided <laughs> in the episode, it's a butt, so you would have to kiss the butt. <laughs> and because it's matte black, Eric, it would really show that lip print. Exactly. Amanda yeah. hates it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Every time a fucking influencer shows like a matte black Dutch oven, I'm like, stop it. <laughs> Babish. God. Uh, in terms of the like solutions for the question of like, what do you want from Eric? Uh, I sort of threw out all of my options. I, I wanted to do the, I probably would have done the comic book ending of put Gutenberg in a mirror universe where he's trapped forever. But yeah, that was my, that was my go-to, I think. Totally. And mine is very much universal basic income. Like I think most of the campaign ultimately and sort of like, I don't know, I don't want to say inexpertly, but like in, in real ways is reckoning with the fact that like, you know, harm comes from a place of like lack much of the time. And I think the the real answer to most people's problems is enough money. Uh, and so that's that's what felt kind of the most far reaching and preserving choice for people. Yeah. What did you end up saying of, of what you wanted just like to help people to make people's lives better? You said that you don't want anyone to go to a job that they hate anymore just to like survive, you know? Or that makes the world worse. Yeah. yeah. And I think that those those conversations with Somalier and the kind of unfolding of her motivation over this last arc was definitely on my mind as I thought that. Yeah. And yeah, the the universal basic income is kind of the thing that I thought of when you said that. And the thing that like something very material that could change, which is why I came up with a stretch card. I thought that was pretty cool. God, it's you so stretching. perfect. Um, and then, yeah, I, I said UBI specifically because like, for SNAP or for food stamps, there's very specific stuff that mm-hmm. you can only get. And I was very intentional about that. Like you can only get like pretty much just produce yeah. because we we have to impose on people who need help that they also need to eat nutritionally and not have anything good at only, which is wild. So that's why in the cart there were like pre-made, there was pre-made food and baby supplies, which you can't uh, buy with wild. SNAP, which is wild. Yeah. Uh, other other countries maybe let you do this. Not not this one. No, not in the United States. So that's why I wanted the stretch card to be like the stretch card has some amount of money on it that people can use for groceries specifically, but then can add on for rent and utilities and yeah. whatever else. I think like a, a caregiving wage and, you know, universal health care, universal retirement, stuff that people deserve and makes the, the kind of basic needs of life taken care of. Julie, did you have any ideas about what you would have chosen, or were you just no? Frozen? I still have choice paralysis. <laughs> I'm still thinking of the ways that Eric could make it seem bad. It's the I, I would not have monkey pawed. I Julia. I know, but like at the because I know it was like the ending, but I also didn't know like how much was in between then and the ending, and so I didn't want to like make a decision. You know what I mean? Yes, I will. When we get to some, maybe some who can say is at the end, <laughs> I can touch on this a little, but maybe I'll do a little bit here. My headcanon is that it was a sacrifice. Someone was throwing themselves into the machine and then that's your wish. Like, that's your thing. So, like, I wouldn't have monkey pawed you because you would have made a sacrifice. I think Eric's headcanon, which is not canon because we haven't played it, but I think that Aggie is gone. So that's why I didn't. I wanted it to be exactly what you wanted, or at least a very physical version of that. Just a pile of legs on the floor. Oh no, we're just holding on to legs. Just oh, two no. sneakers. That's not canon. That is, do not. That's not what it is. Really, it just occurred to me. What if? Uh, what if there was some kind of like 
you know, reintegration of Aggie and Preserver or something about the timelines kind of re-knitted itself and, uh, you know, one or both of them pop back out. Really Maybe. What do you what do you have, Doctor Aggie? Multitude presents. What do you have? <laughs> what if third Aggie? What if third Aggie? What if third Aggie? Maybe, maybe. Or maybe Quinn then becomes multi-tool. Oh, no, that's very that. comic booky. <laughs> that's but, very comic. And, and but now she has sticky powers. It's very confusing. <laughs> oh, oh, are they on the same team as Milo? Milo is a. Uh... No, Brandon. (laughs) No, incorrect. Milo retires. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about that after credits scene. First of all, lots of people. Brandon, how dare you? Slash Brandon, thank you. Uh, Brandon, how do you, real talk, how do you decide how much of a pause to leave? Uh, I mean, real talk, I I play it back like a handful of times and just feel it. (laughs) I know it's not a good answer, but like. No, it's. I I have like uh, my defaults of like fade outs and fade ins, like fade outs are generally six seconds and fade ins are generally four seconds yeah but you just gotta feel it it felt right to me and eric when did you decide to write this we had had a conversation before actually i had said this on an after party we had had conversations before about like this story being over but like lake town city maybe not being done necessarily or like and i'm saying that like in a storytelling way. I don't want to like say one way or another of what we're going to do next, but it's like the, the city still remains, but I didn't want, but we didn't want to end it. And I said that to all of you to make choices that like your story is over, but Lake Town city can exist. And then I think Brandon, you threw that idea out there when we finished recording. Yeah, we had finished recording. This is on tape too. We finished recording. And I think Eric, because you didn't have any notes, you were feeling a little bit self-conscious, which you didn't need to, of course. But like you were feeling a little bit subconscious, like was that good? Was that was that a good ending? <laughs> I did too, because I was like, "Fuck, did I just mess up?" Yeah, and I think we were all, and yeah, I think yeah, I remember that. And then me and Julia or everyone was just like, "Yeah, that was wonderful." Like you yeah, know, here are some ideas if you want to chew on them and like give yourself an out of like a scripted thing, you know. But yeah, and then you came back and we're like, "I have a thing." Crushed it. <laughs> The wildest thing. I cannot fucking believe. I'm like, you know how we're going to end this? I'm going to improv a scene between two people at a grocery store. <laughs> like, fuck, man. I love it. <laughs> Jesus. So perfect. So, yeah, um, it's very funny. I touched on this in the mid-roll of the episode in that, like, this campaign began as a conversation with the Infinity Saga of movies and, like, how, I, you know, I've watched all of them, but, like, how incredibly surface level and, like... Uh, capital A American they are and how not like specific they are mm-hmm. um, the movies in particular and I felt like having an after credit scene was a reference to that which I thought was very funny using it in the way that it was intended not just because like you have a big board somewhere and you have to tie the Spider-Man movie into fucking Doctor <laughs> Strange a strange in- American accent is how I fucking talk about it you know what yeah. I'm saying um, so you can I- only get Samuel L. Jackson for like one day in Burbank like two hours max. Yeah, he was yeah. driving through Atlanta, and he just stopped That's off true. at the green the green screen studio. So I wanted to have that as a reference to where this kind of started. And truly, it was an after credit scene, and that it references something that may or may not get picked up. Someone else kind of like tied this to specifically comics of like a maybe, maybe, maybe thing that may or may not get picked up. It's just like a thing you kind of throw at the end of the comic. But I, I thought that doing an after credit scene touch on um, that stuff I mean that's one of the things I love about comics is like nothing's ever permanent there's always like an out that you can take if you need to or like 40 years down the line a new writer can take the out you know Mm -hmm. no one stays Mm -hmm. dead exactly so I think that's Mm. you know if we're making a comic book it's necessary it's an ingredient 
Exactly. Absolutely. Well, y'all, for the final time in a campaign two after party, I am going to pop into the kitchen um, and get us some more charcuterie elements. We thought the prosciutto was over, but it's not. Can I? Can we get some sour beer and homemade sour Anthony snacks to celebrate? No. No. (laughs) Hey, it's Amanda. We all say a lot of schmaltzy stuff uh, near the end of this episode. So I'll, I'll leave most of my reflections to there. But there is a pretty fabulous moment when you realize that thinking about your D&D character truly feels like thinking about a real person that you're friends with and who you met and who has a life and a backstory when you're not voicing her. And I had that moment a couple of times here recording this after party. And it's a wonderful thing. So welcome to the mid-roll. We have lots of prosciutto people. First and foremost, thank you to all of the people who joined the Patreon, some of whom joined, by the way, just to yell WTF in the Discord, and we approve and appreciate that message. Welcome to Catherine Malakai, AJ Murmur, Zach Z, Douglas Dreamer, Michelle Mulked, Danae, Link Me, and Jeff. Thank you so very much for your support. I don't think any of us are ever going to forget watching your reactions to the finale in the Discord, and it is truly what makes the show so special. I cannot wait to see what all of you think about everything we have coming out over the next few months. So go to patreon.com slash join the party pod to become a patron and join the Discord today. It is a great day to check out another Multitude show. This week, I want to recommend Horse, which was co-created by, of course, our own DM, Eric, and recently welcomed him back for a special episode 100 celebration. This is a podcast all about the ridiculous stories, internet drama, and the biggest and baddest personalities out there today, all from the world of basketball. Hosts Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert and in episode 100, special guest Eric Silver, want the world to know how unbelievable the history and culture of basketball is. So check it out every other Monday by searching Horse in your podcast app or check out horsehoops.com. We are sponsored this week by Backblaze. They provide unlimited backup for Mac and PC. That's all of the movies, music, photos, videos, project, and data that you have on your computer safely backed up to the cloud. They have nearly two exabytes, which is a true measure of uh, data size, uh, of data under their management and counting. That's almost 2 billion gigabytes, by the way. Backblaze runs in the background of your computer. It's running in the background of the studio computer as I speak to you right now. And it just seamlessly backs stuff up. It keeps your files safe without you needing to do a thing. And if you ever need to, you can either download individual files from Backblaze or restore your entire device from anywhere in the world via web access. One time I forgot a file at work and I was home. So I just logged on to Backblaze and downloaded it. It was so seamless. Or if you ever need to, they can mail you a flash key or hard drive right to your door preloaded with your stuff. Start a 15-day free trial with no credit card required at backblaze.com slash JTP. That's backblaze.com slash JTP. Finally, we are also sponsored by Squarespace, which has been powering the Join the Party website for the five years that this podcast has been around. And we are always making use of their new features and designs to make the website even easier to use. This is, of course, a beautiful platform for building your brand and growing your business online. I know firsthand that the Join the Party website was at first just three or four pages, and then we started adding episodes one by one. And now that we have two campaigns in the books and even more coming up, the website is able really easily to grow with us. 
Making a website is so easy. It's an integral part of launching a new podcast, the thing that makes it feel really real, and they make it so easy to do so. I love their beautiful custom templates, very easy to use SEO tools, and online stores to sell physical or digital products. So if you're launching a podcast brand or business, let Squarespace be your toolkit. Go to squarespace.com slash join the party for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code join the party to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And now let's get back to the after party. All right, guys, I'm back. Ready to reminisce as we go on? We remember? You want to reminisce a little bit about the campaign? My, my mouth is full of gobble goal. Anthony the Sour here. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, we got a great show tonight. Mummenschance is here. <laughs> what? From, from the first season of fucking The Muppet Show. Oh, my God. Okay. Mage Silverleaf would like to know, what was your favorite moment in the campaign? For me, it's the the stomach dropping moment that we realized we were in a time loop. Like it, I was like, "Damn, he really went there." It made so much sense to me why Eric was so like excited and and giggling maniacally about this arc starting, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" It felt like such untrodden ground in AP podcasts and certainly in campaigns that I've played in because you've heard all of them, people. Uh, and I was I was so stunned and excited. I wanted to keep playing. I still remember screaming at you, you lied to me. And that was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> that was time. so funny. <laughs> I, I, I hit you so hard with Julia. That's too hard. That's Stop too fucking hard. talking about that. Uh, so yeah, like obviously the time loop was a, a huge one. Um, I was also a big fan of the stuff with Aunt Min and Join the Channel and like trying to kind of make character decisions that made the most sense for Val. And also like, big ups for the time shark mirror and like getting to travel to another timeline. Like that was so cool. It was so cool. Uh, I really loved, I think one of my favorite things was the idea to play the quiet year at the beginning uh, to build the world. Um, Excuse me. That is the original IP uh, RPG city planner only available in no capes. That's available in the join the party merch store. I'm sorry. I won't get you sued. Uh, Let me rephrase (laughs) Uh, the generic board game that, uh we used to play what you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i just thought like it was really nice because we started the campaign already invested in the place and having a feel of the lore of the place and like all those things that you you have when you live in a place for a long time and things that you discover along the way of a campaign but we already had that so we automatically already like felt like part of the city which was great totally yeah i love i also love join the paper of course um, oh, yeah, oh my god join the paper. paper was so good what was my guy's name like Boring McBorrington? <laughs> Pretty Wasn't much. It like Charles, Charles, yeah. Charles. No, was it? Hold on. God, I wish it was Charles, Charles, Todd. Charles. It's very Your name good. is Todd. 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 How could we forget? Basically, Charles. Yeah. You know. And then obviously, I loved when I was like, or I have parents, and Eric was like, oh, and they made a really good story out of it, which was incredible. Wonderful. Turning Lucas into an copy was also good. That was also very good. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh, man. There's so many. Fuck. If I had to drill down on one specifically, because I have I have a lot. I, I agree. The first times I'm gonna tie this to art, to times that we got show art for join the party. The first was the map. 
and that is representative of the the work that we all do and in running RPG City Planner and doing collaborative world building in ways that I wasn't anticipating. And I think I touched on like 95% of the stuff that we mm-hmm. came up with, which I'm really I'm really happy mm-hmm. with. And I built on top of that with Hello Lake Down City because it felt real. I just had to like fill in the stuff that we didn't already touch. I was just thinking about when we got Zoe's sketches for Hello Lake Town City and how gorgeous those character sketches are, particularly the one that you worked with uh, Dr. McTeer on, the PhD student. Oh yeah, who wasn't, who we didn't even come into the campaign, Should've. which would, would have been wild. Then the second one was the character art that we got from Lapis Lazuli, who's, who does a lot of art for like NADPOD and Dimension 20. And then we got Milo's dump, dump truck, truck ass. ass. <laughs> dump truck ass. Dump, dump truck, truck ass. ass. Yeah, that's Guys, where... I found out a new way to start syncing our recordings. Can we just say dump, dump truck dump ass truck on threes? Ass. <laughs> yes, that's, that's how funny that was. And, and seeing someone else taking another a crack at our, our characters. And then the final one is with Sarah Barra's big poster of everything. Um, seeing where the campaign has led us. And like especially at the end, all the way from our first characters to Emily Slaughter and Sour Anthony and folks we met in like the first few episodes, all the way to Preserver and like and Threadbare and Mega Muncher and all that stuff and Triplicate, like r- relatively new folks. I'm really happy just like seeing all that come together. Is that poster available at jointhepartypod.com slash merch? Your bet your butt it is. Yes. Oh, it's so pretty. It's a it's ready. fucking incredible. You go buy it. Link link is in the doobly-doo. Just go, go check it out. So good. So good. Sarah is my favorite artist now. So good. So good. Fuck you, Picasso. Sarah's coming up. Oh, damn. Pablo's coming at you, ass. <laughs> and speaking of which, Wyvern Apologist would like to know, what are the places you wish you could have explored more or even at a different time? I wish I hadn't made Wyvern into a live show character. <laughs> I would have done that earlier. So good. Um, yeah, I feel like I indulged a lot of that already in Hello, Lake Down City. Um, so go check that out if you haven't, but I'm really proud of some of the, the writing that I put in there and like, we didn't touch it, but like, that's okay. I think the thing that made me started making me think about that was actually that live show with Wyvern in it and the angel of death, who was also an insurance salesman yep. in the strip mall. Like that made me start to think about what, what else is in Lake town city that we haven't touched on. Eric, you're mistaken. It was a tax preparer. It was a, it no, was he account. wasn't. You just don't know what, you just don't know what that means. Why can't the actuary do our taxes? I don't understand. I don't know. It was the fun. That was so funny. <laughs> the running jokes in this campaign have been so glorious. <laughs> Especially the ones between you and me, Brandon, like in particular. Yeah, the ones where we're just stupid about something are just yeah. <laughs> the best. The only thing that I can think of that I would want to maybe explore a little bit more, because Eric, I think, thoroughly explored most of, like, you know, 99% of the city was... Uh, was the company tin? Uh, it would have been maybe interesting to be to like tie that into like labor in the town and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, honestly, Brandon, and I'm not doubting you. I'm not making you feel bad or anything because but you suck at D and D and you suck at editing. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> because Thornhill Coffee became a candy store. That was actually something I was going to pull on if it was going to be like a real Starbucks analogy thing. And mm. there there would have been some other some other stuff surrounding that. So I was thinking about that, but then it became the kind of center point of uh, Join the Loop. And yeah. we didn't get to explore that in the larger machinations. Like, remember that, that plot point about 
how Dr. Morrow f- talked to all the CEOs. Yeah. Sage Lansleaf said this, Dr. Morrow forced all the CEOs to move to Lake Town City and to give people jobs. Like that was something we were going to touch on if Thornhill, if Thornhill uh, hadn't changed. Brandon, you asked me if I held any grudges against you for not healing me. Um, not for not healing me, for turning my coffee shop into a saltwater taffy shop. That's that's the grudge I kept. I don't know why we're blaming me for this. It was Mr. Time Shark over there with his Thornhill has to change or something. What will it be? What am I gonna say? Yeah, er- a t-shirt? Eric, remind me. Er- remind me. What was the prompt for that that you gave Brandon? It was it was Thornhill has to sell something else. What it will what it And sell? so you chose saltwater taffy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was on the moment and my improv <laughs> my improv learning says said don't think, so I just said what came to mind. <laughs> Again, it was so funny, and again, I don't want to lay, lay any blame at Brandon's feet, but like that was—that's what happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, that's what happened. Now, listen, uh, Thornhill and Mayday arc, and increasing Starbucks unionization efforts—correlation or causation? <laughs> Who can say? I will say the real Thornhill was the friends we made along the way. I totally agree. <laughs> sure, but the real Thornhills uh, that I based the coffee shop on and that I named the coffee shop for is now a hot sauce and spice shop. Oh. So that would have been a good option. As Pretty well. good. Well, I'm sorry I didn't read your fucking mind, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, couldn't have couldn't have made Astro something different. No, you had to make my thing. It was Thornhill. It had to be Thornhill. <laughs> It, that, I have to say, that one's on me. I should have wrote down questions to ask you if you had got put in the water. I also didn't write that shit down. That one's on me about my improv <laughs> That's okay. That's fair. Veronica asked, if they were to put a statue in a park in Little Italy at the museum and at the nearest national park for the LT3, what would the statue be of and what would the plaque at the bottom say? Okay, so mine for Volcani would be like Volcani in the middle of like punching a bad guy, but also like holding a box of pizza. And the plaque says, nothing is too good for Little Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Volcani, 20XX. I won't lie, I did see this question in advance. And the only thing my brain spat out was to infinity and beyond. That's pretty good. Yeah. What's so funny about both of those is that like you guys are still around, so I can see both of you like standing in front of your statues, <laughs> being like, and Milo being like, "I worked here. That's me. <laughs> it's my job." <laughs> and I think if Multitool are around, um, or if not, then then hopefully the others in her stead would make a statue for Preserver specifically, and you know either replace a Smokey the Bear statue or you know give Smokey the Bear a, an auburn haired uh, plus size sidekick and uh, and have a Preserver statue saying. Watch out for forest fires and other hazards. Oh, it, hey there! And it was hazards in small parentheses. Hold the fuck up! It wasn't going to be only you can prevent crime or or villains or or pixel that's, that's people. That's good too. That's good too. I like Amanda's. It's the saltwater taffy option. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey there! It's Ranger Preserver. What do you have to tell us about leaving trash in the forest? Don't smoke. Preserver's hand also just goes back and forth to wave at the kids. <laughs> it's like she's holding the hat and like, yeah, and the yeah, hat yeah. is going through oh. the building because, you know, the hat okay. has a blade on it. So okay. it goes into it. What if Smokey had the sign for the risk of forest fire that day and Preserver had the sign for risk of super villainy that day? Ooh. Oh, oh, I like that. Pretty good. I like that. Pretty good. Pretty good. Abby would like to know, Eric, what was a small moment you didn't expect to become relevant later on? And players, what was something small about our characters that you didn't expect to become a bigger part of who they were? 
Oh, that's a good question. Y'all go first. So mine was, I kind of was worried that I had lost Val's. Like when I originally pitched Val, it was like small non-binary Italian punk. And I was worried that I lost that kind of energy early on, the punk energy. Hey, Julia, but then you I... didn't. <laughs> Thank you. You did uh, wife but... up immediately, but there's nothing more punk than matrimony, I'd say. <laughs> I will say though that like I realized that instead of the, like a, a big part of the punk community is like literally community is like helping others being very grassroots like volunteering your time and making sure that everyone in your community is like safe and not in need and I think that a lot of Val's civic responsibility and trying to do right by their communities both Little Italy and the superhero community was something that kind of shone through with that punk aesthetic totally there's nothing more punk than than sticking to the to the man, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that that's what happened because of joining the channel. Like you yeah. felt I mean explicitly the like if the mob is going to move make a move into Lake Town City, then Volcani needs to stand up and then that's where that led. That happened. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of is I didn't expect Tuna to become my literal origin story. <laughs> Tuna. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only thing I can think of that was a small thing. I knew from the beginning I was going to be important. I don't know what you mean. Oh, oh no. I should have known at the moment you made that voice that I was going to get fucked up by Tuna in some way. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I give you from a big family. Irish Catholic, sure. Six siblings seems right. Um, and one day at home, I was just like, you know what, Eric, if you really want to just like fuck with my character and really get to the heart of things, you can bring my siblings in, by the way. Um, and uh, I'm I'm so glad that that happened. And then he tied them, all six of them, into railroad tracks and twirled his mustache. Ah, twirled that mustache. Um, uh-huh. I, Aggie's parents, I would say. <laughs> like I said this before, Aggie's parents is a big one. Um, I did not know where the first NPCs were going to fit in your life. I wasn't sure how where Emily Slaughter was going to fit in. Obviously, Sour Anthony, of course. And then, of course, Des, Dr. Morrow, and January. And they were very open-ended, and I wanted to see what would happen next. So I would say Emily Slaughter. I did not think that she would become a foil for the three of you as someone who, like, theoretically had their shit together, but was much more, I don't want to say craven, but, like, success-oriented, maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone who was, like, doing it the right way. I was not anticipating, like, doing that. Also, I was really proud, I think, at the beginning of the article that Tegan wrote about Aggie's family mm-hmm. in the beginning and how Emily Slaughter fit into that. I wrote that whole article out. It was out, a great article. So it was great. I, it was well-written. It was so good. That was So that was really fun. So I would say Emily Slaughter and Tegan, definitely. And then, oh my God, putting Rose Gold into fucking Tegan's backstory. Yay. God, I loved that. That little detail was, you know, honestly, I think the out of all the things that was thrown off out of some details, that one that Rose Gold used to date Tegan was the biggest one and I think had the most <laughs> effect on our on our <laughs> podcast. Honey, I'm sorry I unmasked uh, without warning. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of uh, of Emily, Wyvern Apologists would also like to know, how do we all feel about the LT3 Upcountry Keepers friends to enemies arc or enemies back to friends to enemies back to unlikely coworkers? Mm-hmm. I feel like Emily's fine. You know what I mean? Like she needs to be a little bit reeled in and not be allowed to girl boss as hard as she does. Yes. And I think by getting rid of taxonomy and sour Anthony, she's fine now. Like because she had these two underlings, she was worse. Yeah. And now that she doesn't have underlings, she's better. I think she's trying her best, you know. 
hundred percent. That's that's always the well that I went to, and um, I guess like I also wasn't anticipating Aggie being the mouthpiece for that. I guess both Val and Milo hated Emily Slaughter so much that I was like, Aggie, you deal with this. I I felt like the the, the, like the the last option, and I was like, okay, fine. But also Emily Slaughter trying to get you to leave the team the entire time. I didn't anticipate that coming. So that that whole relationship just really developed. Yeah, a hundred. I agree a hundred percent with with. Julia and Brandon that like knowing that her underlings were pixels or that two of them were pixels and one of them was a fraud I think really shows how success oriented she was like yeah I'm just gonna grab whoever I can who will do what I want and I'm just gonna do I'm just gonna do me very I the girl boss thing I was trying to lean into as hard as possible yeah I also don't think Val and Milo hated Emily Slaughter. We're just incredibly competitive. <laughs> yeah also exasperated is probably a yeah. better word. For yeah her. you guys were so annoyed every time she talked and it was really funny. It was also why it was so funny that Val, you willingly talked to Emily Slaughter in the trolley problem scene. Yeah. <laughs> which made yeah, it, which. I did do that. And then she fucking almighted all over your ass. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Dang it. Aiden would like to know players, was there a moment where you realized you fully understand who your character was? Yeah, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's very much the join the channel scene and having to like know who Val was enough to to make these like weird decisions that I wasn't anticipating having to make, especially being influenced by the painting. Totally. For me, I think it was really when I saw Preserver and Multitool face off, which I never expected to happen. And I think Eric (laughs) did such a good job of kind of playing Preserver through a mirror under duress that I saw like how different they were and where those fundamental decisions of you know one thing really changing and how that made a very different form of Aggie and made me really pleased and proud and I think that those differences really allowed me to like allow multi-tool to make that kind of final daring move like her seeing how rigid and closed off and kind of uh disaster avoidant and you know scarcity mindset for lack of a better (laughs) and less millennial phrase preserver became uh, that let her kind of swan dive into an optimistic future yeah. Yeah, I think for Milo, it was really like the moment that Eric introduced my friends. Because I think at the beginning, I just gave you like some stereotypes of people. Yeah. And yeah. then you actually came up with fully fledged people. So, like, you know, the moment that you introduced Lucas, I was like, oh, this is the thing that I'm going to revolve Milo around. And then Aww. you put Lucas in danger. And I was like, yep, yeah, okay. And all the little scenes where, like, we pull pranks on each other and all that kind of stuff and Astros. And, like, I think that really cemented, like, Milo is the is the the person that really cares for his friends above all. Um, especially because he has the literal power to do that. Um, yeah. So he feels a responsibility towards his friends. Yeah. I think the, the thing where Lucas was really pissed at you for not telling him that you had powers and that you were a superhero, I really wanted to hammer that home as well. Yeah, and I think that the the reaction to Lou being squashed by a refrigerator, while warranted, uh was oh, for definitely, sure. 100%. Was definitely informed by the fact that I think Milo had told himself a narrative at that point that he was the the guy that protects his friends and you yeah. know, that threw that into stark relief that he couldn't always do that. So I I also want you to know, as your DM, 
I 100% would have had your back if you tried to kill his mom. <laughs> Thank 100%. You. All, all, all of the characters didn't want that. Lou was like, "You, this is too much. I'm fine, truly. You saved me already. And the sommelier was like, don't do that. Don't kill me. So like, But I wanted you to know, as your DM, if you wanted to do that, I was 100% on your side. As your friend, Brandon, I would have reluctantly broken Milo out of jail, but <laughs> I would have been annoyed about it. <laughs> We would have had that ten episode arc on the side. <laughs> Eric would have been frustrated. Julia, we, we did. We did have oh, that arc. No. I forgot. <laughs> All right, Kay would like to know, Eric, was there anything you planned that didn't make it into the campaign? And similarly, Walt asked, can you tell us about wild things that might have happened if the characters made different decisions at certain points? What tell notes us, have you been sitting us, on for years us. and itching to tell us all? Open your tell notebook. Us. Oh, wait, there's nothing there. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> Got them. I originally had an idea that Average Bear was going to be a front for Gutenberg, which it was, because mm. which we explored in Join the Paper, and that people were going to take BuzzFeed-style quizzes to reveal what their powers were for the folks. <laughs> a lot more people would not have had powers, and then they would have had the one-up mushrooms, which if they had taken one, it would have revealed oh, the superpower that they had that. done in the quiz. I love that. That's why you had them in New York City when Aggie went to Rasulka's, right? Exactly. But then where we figured it out, that's why Sour Anthony had them in the beginning the entire time. Oh. So I ended up we ended up moving away from that, and I think joining the paper was a little more... I'm so happy we did that and it was a little more straightforward. But yeah, that was going to be the overarching thing. But then Gutenberg became more of like, uh, Gutenberg just fucking hates Dr. Morrow. And that's the motivation of literally everything. Okay. Okay. That's the big thing. Everything else I've kind of talked about. Like, you know, I, I build this episodically. I build it brick by brick off of your choices. So some things went one way, some things went the other. The main thing is kind of some of the stuff we lost in Join the Loop. That's the big stuff. Yeah. Join the Loop, how we didn't get the big car fight at the auction house. <laughs> Rip. 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 Rip John Paul. And then I are, we've actually did an entire episode of party planning about this. Everything y'all missed in the OTA. But I also, it's like, whatever, you know, you play what you play. Quick, Julie, what was the name of that game? Oh, couldn't tell you. <laughs> Memento disease. <laughs> the look on your face when I asked you that was priceless. It's a ruse colon a quiz about the the man behind the game. No, that was a different. That was party a different one. Party for fun. That was, party for fun. Thank you. That was party for fun. That was the quiz about me. This was uh, the yes. fake game show that that's I right, ran right. about what you thought would happen in the OTA that you missed. If you're not two, a patron, two different do it. Ga- self-indulgent game shows, Brandon. If you're not a patron, you should do it. Do party it. Party planning's fun, guys. Party planning's fun. All right, all right. So, so much to talk about. I could do this forever, guys. But I think a final question here from Cat Roses. Eric, how do you feel about your growth as a DM over the last campaign? Players, how do we feel about character growth and personal growth over the last campaign as players? Yeah, I wrote this down and I I had this right in the beginning, right in the front of my brain when, Kat, you would ask this. I would never have done something like join the paper. There was definitely a big risk for me Mm. to be like, hey, let's do this. Are you okay with this? Join the loop was also a massive undertaking, challenging myself to do this time loop thing when no one had done it except for like the Adventure Zone just doing Majora's Mask <laughs> which which is you know great but I had not seen this in any other way in, in D&D media um, I really had been pushing myself on describing places and characters and I 
think I'm better at that. And I realized how many goddamn game mechanics I invented, I think was a big thing. And the amount of those I put into fights to make them more interesting, Mm -hmm. I am really proud of myself at the final two fights of campaign two. I felt like I was in control. I felt like there was a lot of fun stuff to do. If you broke it, I didn't care. It was just, it's kind of just like a, a, a launch pad for you to figure it out. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked that five years in, I'm still every time we roll initiative, I'm surprised by the thing that you've made up. Yeah, thank you. There's always something that I don't anticipate in a fight, and it's delightful. And I'm so proud of all the stuff that you've published as well in mm-hmm. and about the uh, the JTP universe. I think knowing that people have used those materials like No Capes, like Hello Lake Town City to run one shot set in our world, you know, I think is just huge kudos to you that you made this vibrant enough that people want to set something here and gave them the tools to do it. Yeah. yeah. Thank That's you. Really cool. Players, how do we feel? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel I feel good. I feel very happy about the way that... I've grown since campaign one in terms of a player on mic, in terms of a character developer. I'm glad that I had the opportunity to, and, and you know, as we said earlier, like this isn't the end of the end of these characters. So like I, there still is some growth that Mel needs to do, of course, but like I'm happy with this like kind of nervous, anxious human going from a nerdy, silly boy to someone who is actually actively trying to, use their powers for good and like learn how to use it properly and like really work with the team and all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, I did the, I feel like I did the tools, coolest two things I've done in a D and D game in this finale. So <laughs> I'm pretty happy with those two things as a player. And you have a new step rabbit. I do. Yes. That's true. That's the goal. That was the goal of this entire five years was to get a little rabbit That's as true. a brother. <laughs> Adorable. I think for me, the way that I would sum up how I feel about like both the character growth and my growth as a player is at the end of this campaign, I know exactly where Val would go from here. Yeah, You know what I mean? Totally. And that says something both about like how well Eric built the world and how confident I feel about like making decisions in character and as a player. And I think that kind of just sums it up really well for me totally i know where we go from here my goal for myself in starting campaign two was be more involved try to try to carry some of the weight take my responsibility seriously i think it was very in my head about being a new player um, and learning the rules and the system and just not messing up during the first campaign and during this one i really wanted to contribute and i think starting out you know to brandon's point with collaborative world building for Lake Town City really just set that set that tone. And Eric, the number of things that we got to collaborate on as well um, about character and plot stuff, like the side quest with um, Somalier, the Time Shark, and getting to you know fully throw not fully throw away, but getting to kind of have a soft restart on a character that I had gotten very confident knowing her and how to play her would have totally rattled me in campaign one, but just felt like an exciting way to like try and do new things um, this time around. So thanks for your support. Um, And I am proud of what I learned and what I did and excited to take these skills and try something even more kind of outside my comfort zone. Yeah. If I'm being honest, like I don't really think about myself as a player because I'm distracted by how good of players you two fucking are. (laughs) So, okay. Uh, yeah, y'all are incredible, and I, I am impressed every single time we play a game. Aww. Yeah. Aww. The three of you are very good at playing game. 
I Eric, think we already did the candle lighting. No, it's fine. I I've been thinking about this a as lot, and it's funny how <laughs> as we go on, we remember. How to put that underneath <laughs> the <laughs> section? <laughs> I think there's something about us being podcast native, or uh, or that being like the main medium in which we express ourselves, and I think we play to the podcast. It's interesting how comedians and improvers have latched onto this and that like the main thing they do is make jokes and then like they build things around that. And I'm not that's not dismissive. That is more like you they're so funny and like make rude jokes so much because they're quick on their feet and they have a lot of experience doing comedy. And I feel like we play mm-hmm. to the microphone and I'm very proud of that and obviously all the work that Brandon does, of course. I feel like that's where Join the Party lives. And I think, like, we, we embody that. So if people want the the most podcast, Dungeons & Dragons podcast, the most, the most audio-friendly, like, that's where they come from. The one we play to this medium. We don't play to D&D comedy podcasts. We play to actual play game podcast audio medium, which I, I'm very proud of. That's yeah, true. Totally. And I think like all good podcasts, the conversation begins when we put out the audio. That's not the end of it. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of all of us when I say, like, thank you for listening. I don't know what I personally would have done for the last two and a half years <laughs> without this world to think about and escape into and build and improve uh, without all of you, you know, supporting us in your messages and emails and uh, and discord emotes, your enthusiasm, your fan art, knowing that people were as invested in this world as we were made it feel so real and makes it feel like a place that we can always dip into and not a thing that is done. Totally. Yeah, I was thinking about this and I remembered that when uh, campaign one ended, you and me, Amanda and Eric, were like, do we want to do another campaign? I, like, what are we going to do? Do we want to do it? Why do we want to do it? Blah, blah, blah. And we were like, all right, well, let's. We're, we want to do it, but let's only do it if it's not fantasy and we get to play like real people and the mirror universe in which we did not play this campaign is such a yeah. sad the darkest timeline. <laughs> the darkest timeline. <laughs> like, especially not having Julia yeah. involved in it. Like, yeah, I, I'm so glad that we did this and so happy that we have these characters and this world um, to dip back into. And it was just such a highlight, especially in these last, like, two years. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, like, as the, the new person on the team, the new kid in Doesn't the, feel the that playground. Doesn't at all. I never felt that way. And that's something that I both appreciate of like the three of you and of the audience who kind of just like fully embraced and accepted me. And I, I very much appreciated that. I, there's this one question I want to touch on. Yeah. Uh, Maureen, our wonderful bookie, wanted to know who the person was who was in the lab from the other cut away scene. That was just to signify that there was something going on with the People's River. Right. And that that is some scientist working for the People's River. Oh, that was yes. pretty much that. That's it. And uh, maybe talking to uh, a goon or triplicate or whoever over the phone, it was really just to say that like, there is machinations happening. That was the other thing that like Gutenberg was doing a lot behind the scenes when you guys were at the gala. Yeah. That's why he tricked he tricked Emily Slaughter into using that venue. He used Mr. Pinstripe initially as bait. That was all that stuff was was him putting the hand on the scale, and that's what that scene was. I just want to clarify that that you didn't miss anyone. It was just like People's River scientist number four. You know what I mean? Gotcha. <laughs> people also asked after Tegan and, and if they're going to be okay. Okay, here's my new headcanon. Ready? Please. And it is because Eric and I just rewatched Gravity Falls. I think that uh, Tegan uses their investigative chops to 
find that Aggie had been accidentally sort of trapped in some kind of like mirror portal dimension. But for Aggie, no time had passed. So for Aggie, she goes into the machine, um, you know, kind of like sets things in the right direction and then pops back out and there's Tegan. And she's like, amazing, babe, I was going to text you. Um, and, you know, it's been like five months or something. That's what I think. That's what I think. And in my head canon, we're all at the funeral of <laughs> one Aggie O'Hare with Tegan. Sorry. <laughs> And it's just a pair of legs. Awful. Right? Oh, sorry, Brandon, guys. awful. Brandon, it's just the shoes, which is somehow more tragic. Yeah, it's it's the same event for some reason as Cassandra and Hank's wedding. I know. <laughs> a double a double event. Yeah. yeah. It's two rooms. So I just want to say to, to this point. That, that priest is doing double time. <laughs> this is just headcanon. This is what I think. This is what we all think. When we say that Lake Town City isn't finished, like Lake Town City, the city, the fictional one, that extends. And regardless of whether we dip back into it as a story that we tell in this microphone, that's why I wanted it to be this more ambiguous ending here. That like the city isn't over even if the story ends with the stretch card. I don't know if we come back. I really don't. And maybe we do. Maybe we don't. We'll see what happens. What I do know, though is what's going to happen next to the Join the Party feed. Oh, what? what is that, Eric? I'm not prepared. Brandon, I should have known that you were asleep the entire time during these meetings and you just drawn <laughs> eyeballs onto your eyelids. That's true. <laughs> like Justin Long and whatever <laughs> fucking movie that was. Hey, Brandon, what do you think about this? Wow. Oh, no, Brandon's in. sleepy characters. Wow. I, I like the idea that you've tied your hand like to a yeah. pulley system that goes up every once in a while. Just big thumbs just up. Just every now and again. Just it's it's voice activated if someone says something on your computer. If it's a, if it hears Brandon, he's going <laughs> big thumbs up. I love that. Okay. Here's what's coming next. When he, we said weekly, we said weekly. We are not stopping. We got three weeks of one shots. We are doing an an after party about those one shots, okay? And then after that, we're starting a mini campaign for the summer. Oh, summer! <gasps> summer, summer, summer time. And what what is that campaign called? And what is the uh, what is the rough theming? And is there any relationship between those two things? Tell the name. Tell the name. It is called the camp pain. We are going to summer camp for the summer. We are doing a mini campaign. We are playing a different game. We are <gasps> playing Monster of the Week. Counselor Breeze. <gasps> we uh we wanted to get away from the Dragons game for a second just for a little bit. So we're playing Monster of the Week. It's going to be like 15-ish episodes. There's a world-building episode. There's an episode zero, which we've already recorded, and we're so, so fucking excited to share it with all of you. Will that perfectly map onto the summer in the Northern Hemisphere, June 15th to roughly mid-September? Yes, it will! Roughly. Definitely (laughs) roughly. So please, we're not going anywhere. Get ready for next Tuesday and all Tuesdays going forward. Monster of the Week, short campaign, summer camp vibes. You're gonna you're gonna fall in love. It's gonna be. Wonderful. Do we also want to give them a little tease about the one shots that we're doing in between? If you want I think to, yeah, so. yeah. I don't want to say anything because I'm not running that shit. I'm just a player. I'm just vibing. No, it's true. I'm going to say my one shot. Uh, you guys are all just just cheeky little guys who love to party. <laughs> <gasps> and for my one shot, y'all. Life in space is hard. It is. It's really hard. So many feelings. <laughs> so many. So many bright lights. Bright lights, big city, big feelings. <laughs> 
And then, Eric, <laughs> after the campaign, we don't know what's next. We're going to be returning to a long-form Dungeons & Dragons campaign. And we're sorting out the details in the meantime. So don't worry, guys. There's going to be another meaty. There will be a campaign three. It will start in the fall. And uh, we're going to marinate on like a poke bowl. We're going to marinate like sashimi grade tuna. That is what I had for lunch on uh, on what we're going to do after that. All four of us are going to jump into a bag of soy sauce. That sounds yes, great. Yes, Brandon will vacuum seal us and sous vide us. Like emotionally. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> And I know we said it before, but the poster's out now. Y'all, go fucking buy the poster. Go buy. It's so good, Sarah Barra. You're so talented. All patrons, make sure to check your email for the digital download of this, which you got for free, because we hit 600 patrons and you're all amazing. Oh, and we didn't. We should give you content warning that Gutenberg is uncomfortably hot. So just... Just good luck. Also, with that. Sour Anthony is too hot. He that is. was my only complaint about yeah. the poster. Byron Zorn is jokingly. appropriately hot. Sour mm-hmm. Anthony is perhaps too hot. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Sarah, just I will. I will fully admit that I fell in love with Tell Me immediately upon seeing her. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we did it. Campaign two. It's way. It's so weird. This is so weird. We've been recording this. We started recording this in 2019. We that did. was like 20 years ago. We did. <laughs> wild and now that it's complete by the way this is a perfect time to say to your friends i know i've been bugging you about joining the party for months now or hey remember this podcast that uh, i've been talking about so much it's complete now whether you want to start with high fantasy campaign one or modern superheroes campaign two or recruit your friends to get the heck on board for the campaign over the summertime we're going to teach you how to play just like we do every single arc we do it is a fantastic time send folks to join the party we're making the website even better even nicer even more for newcomers. So please help us out. The only way that you grow a podcast is uh, when your fabulous listeners text their friends, dates, and coworkers to come along. So uh, thank you for everyone who has. And if you haven't yet, join thepartypod.com. Well, Lake Town City lives on in our brains, minds, hearts, and podcast feeds all four and a half days of it. But folks, we will see you next freaking week with a one-shot DM'd by yours truly, Julia Shafini. So stick with us. We will see you there. We'll see you in the Discord. We'll see you online. And uh, until then. Bye, guys. Later. Don't make it weird. I'm going to miss doing this voice. Mayor rules trend ever upward. We love you. Bye. 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 Bye.